You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. You're on, Peter. Hey, everyone. How are you guys doing? Yeah, this, uh, I think I'm from Taiwan, but uh, this is not Taiwan. I'm actually uh, here in Newberry Park, and I don't know if they shared with you, but uh, the reason why we're doing this is because of the whole coronavirus scare. Now, here's the thing. In Taiwan, no one is doing this social media connection thing. We're just wearing masks and making sure to sanitize. But I understand uh, if people are concerned um, that I'm coming on around like a leper and causing uh, all this disease to go around. So it's a good precaution to take. So it's a good thing. And now because of modern technology, we could do it this way. So hello, CCCTO, and it's good to be back uh, in America, and uh, I've seen some of you already, and I hope uh, I can see all of you uh, next Sunday instead. But because we're doing this, we have a live stream. Now, this is a historic moment. You know why? When's the last time there was a live stream for Sunday service, for the sermon? Never. This is the first time. So here's something, the silver lining in the negativity of the coronavirus is that we're testing this new way of doing things, and I could be the first one to be a part of this. I'm gone, but I'm not. I'm back again. <laughs> so this is awesome. So we want to praise God uh, for this. Now, I suggested to uh, Wayne and Dorothy, who have uh, helped uh, to set this up, um, and that... You know, I checked on Amazon.com uh, for hazmat suits. You know that you can get a hazmat suit from 3M for just $15. So this is my proposal to the executive board of Chinese Christian Church of Thousand Oaks that we invest in 20 hazmat suits, only $15 each for any guest speaker that comes from Asia so that you don't have to do this live stream thing and then they can just come in uh, the church and then just wear the hazmat suit come in and greet everyone wear the gloves the mask and then walk out you don't have to worry about any kind of coronavirus flu cold or whatever it may be and literally you know let's say I come people will be like looking at this guy like whoa what the heck is this this is like some kind of Darth Vader guy is that is that Peter could it be no it's not possible. It can't be him. And then my response will be, yes, I am your speaker. <laughs> and we can all have a great time. Uh, and the, the news media might, might catch wind of this, right? And like, because no other church is doing this where they're offering their guest speakers hazmat suits. So you get good publicity from it as well. Anyways, is God in control, even with what's going on? And that's what we're talking about today. Pastor Curtis uh, very relevantly uh, wanted me to speak on this topic, and he wanted me to include as many uh, Taiwan references as possible since uh, I have moved there, and this is my third month uh, there. And so we're going to go through this. So if um, the PowerPoint is up, why don't we go to the first PowerPoint? Uh, and the answer is Yes. There you go. The sermon's over. So let's have the worship music team. Thomas, you can come on back up and then we can uh, close 
uh, in, in prayer and, and finish the service so that you guys can go to lunch. Oh, you guys don't have lunch anymore because of the coronavirus. <laughs> Sorry. You know what that means? I can speak for as long as I want. There's no more pressure, right? There's no more pressure. So those one hour past Pastor Peter sermons are back. It's back today. It's back <laughs> today, right? Also, I'm going to call out on some people who I know like to leave immediately after the closing prayer to get in line to get their lunch. Nathan Yu. <laughs> Nathan Yu. Sharice Chua. Mathea. Uh, Angela, Matt Young, Eric Zong, Eric Fung, are you are you guys all there? Are you sitting in the, in the front right near the, near the front right? Okay, you can't do that anymore. Now you actually have to reflect on the sermon, which is actually the way it is. So another silver lining of the the coronavirus. So another thing to to thank God for. Anyways, let's talk a little bit about Taiwan. Let's go to the next slide. So here's an update from Hualien, Taiwan. You got two pictures over there. The bottom left is actually the port of Hualien, and there's an oil refinery there as well as the port where all the business of the freight ships come in and out and also the, the fresh fish come in and out. Where is Hualien? A lot of people are asking, uh, where did Pastor Peter go? Well, if you look on the right, there is a picture of Taiwan, and a lot of people know where Taipei is. It's not actually written Taipei, but Taipei is in the north above Yilan. You look at the where Hualien is straight dab in the middle on the east coast of Taiwan. And so that's where I currently live right now. We just closed escrow on a, a four-story house. Yes, you heard it correctly, a four-story house. That's normal, okay? It's, it, now, it, it might sound, oh, you got a mansion. No, 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 these homes are, are like, like, they're like stilts, okay? They're like towers. They're thin, but they're really tall. And so the first story is usually used for a business because there's no regulations against having a business in your residence like they do here have in uh, the States. The second story is usually the uh, kitchen and living room. Then the third and fourth stories would be the bedrooms or other uh, rooms that you want to use for whatever you want to use. And the cool thing is then you have the roof that you can actually go up and overlook the entire city. So some of you have seen my vlogs where you do see that I'm on a roof uh, overlooking and doing uh, my video recording there. Uh, every home has that and they, everyone has their roof where you can just overlook at the, the scenery of the city, which is really, really cool. Um, I'll be teaching and tutoring English. And so doing a business there, I've never done it before. So pray for me. Uh, Kate will be taking care of Theodore and she might be teaching some piano as well. Now, the reason why I'm back is because I am going to be bringing all the stuff that I still have here in storage and shipping it back to Taiwan. And so I'm here for two weeks to do that. Uh, I have visited uh, many churches in Hualien just to get the Christian scenery and culture in Hualien. I visited seven of them. Right now I'm attending my uh, in-laws church, my Kate's family's church, the Christian Mennonite church of Hualien, just about three blocks, two or three blocks away from where we live. And I've been to seven different denominations of Christianity, of Protestant Christianity, and I have met up with all of their pastors. And you know what I found? What's interesting is this. There is no English speaking ministry in Hualien. Meaning that if you are an English speaker, if you're a Caucasian, or if you're an, an Asian American that was raised here and don't really know much Mandarin, there's no English ministry 
for you. I've asked all of them. They don't know of any. They've all said that it's important to start one, but they don't have anyone who's qualified and capable of starting one. Also, they do have translation, but only in two of their larger churches. There are two larger churches. One is a Baptist one, Meiluan Jingxinghui, the Baptist church in Meiluan part of Hualien. And the other one is the Meiluan Zhanglaohui, the Presbyterian church in Meiluan. Both of them have, I think, around like a couple of hundred to maybe a thousand or so uh, members. And they'll have earphone uh, translations where people who don't know Mandarin will come and uh, uh, who are Christians will come and go to those bigger churches. But again, no, just purely English ministry congregations. Every week I see Caucasians walking around, uh, either visiting, either married to a native uh, in Hualien, or or they, they are also English teachers, no churches for them. And so Kate and I are praying uh, about this and we're thinking of starting and just a purely English ministry church for English speakers there in maybe after about two years. Because I'm right now learning how to read and write uh, Chinese. Very difficult, but still learning. And uh, if no church has come up with an English ministry, then we'll try to start one and see what happens. And maybe in the future, you guys can come and join us. Because we're doing missions trips uh, in Taip- Taipei. Maybe think of doing a missions trip to uh, Hualien, and we can house you at our uh, four-story uh, home that we're sort of using on the side as also a bed and breakfast. So anyways, that's what life is in uh, Hualien, Taiwan. Uh, and just to introduce you to um, more of Taiwan life, just sharing you some of the things that have happened uh, since I came back just this past week. If we go to the next slide... Um, today, uh, in the morning, I went out to get some breakfast and I just parked normally just like this, uh, because this is basically an accepted and normal way to park in, in America, right? Everyone just parks like this and put, puts their emergency lights on and it's perfectly acceptable. No, right. Yeah. Right. So perfectly fine. And, um, the first thing I bought Uh, When I came here, really important thing to buy because all Americans buy this is let's go to the next slide is I went to the uh, Thousand Oaks uh, Power Sports store on Thousand Oaks Boulevard and I got a Vespa scooter because everyone in America to get around drives a scooter. Right. And I just wanted to be like an American with both a car and also a motorcycle because, you know, all the teenagers and young adults ride scooters here so i just wanted to fit in so isn't that true right gary are you there you you, you ride a scooter right i mean you, you scooter all over uh, uh amgen and, and bank of america right and i sort of got uh hungry and so next slide i went to the most popular store or market in america and uh 7-eleven because in america every three blocks there's one and sometimes, surprisingly, I don't know why, but there's two 7-Elevens just at the opposite uh, block corners where you can do everything there. You can buy food, buy drink, uh, do your banking there. There's chairs and tables. You can sit there and eat your food. You can make copies and do business there, right? So, yeah. And I was kind of uh, uh, 
also thirsty after eating. And so I bought some, um, next slide, some drinks there. And, uh, oh, maybe this is too early to talk about this. Too sensitive, right? Too sensitive. Okay, let's go to the next slide quickly. You know, we don't want to talk about this. Okay, let's get serious because this is Sunday morning. And we're here to talk about, is God in control? We can't have too much fun on Sunday morning because that would be a, a sin. God doesn't want us to have too much fun on Sunday morning, right? So let's pray and then we can do some uh, scripture reading. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, uh, for this historic event of this live stream. We pray that you would bless us as we uh, worship you. And even though uh, we are uh, sort of uh, distanced through the internet, Lord, we are with each other in spirit, uh, both in a, a figurative and also in a very literal, mystical way, bonded by the Holy Spirit. We pray you would bless our time as we learn more about your sovereignty and your control over not only our lives, but the whole entire world, even through the tragedies and the sufferings that are going on. Thank you, Father. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would bless us and guide us. Bless Chinese Christian Church of Thousand Oak, continue to guide yeah. Pastor Curtis and also the pastoral team as they lead the ministries there and as they minister to people uh, in the Thousand Oaks and surrounding areas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to read the scripture first, and then I'm going to ask the congregation to read along with me because it is just one verse. And in order to have a true scripture reading, it has to be kind of long, right? Because that's the tradition. So Matthew chapter four, verse four, but he, Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, can I have the congregation read with me? One, two, three, Matthew chapter four, verse four, but he, Jesus answered and said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen. May God bless the reading of his divine scriptures. Now, let's go to the next slide. Now, here are a couple of reasons why we may think that God is not in control. These are the most popular reasons and the main reasons that you hear all the time of when you're tempted to start doubting God's control and sovereignty in your lives. And as you read through them, you'll see that this is probably true for you, maybe in all three areas, or just maybe in one. But the number one thing is our own self-centeredness, right? Things aren't going my way, even though I'm a faithful Christian. And so therefore, is God in control? Because God loves me and he wants the best for me, but I'm not getting my goals done. My work isn't really successful. Uh, my family's going through some, some hardships. Uh, I'm not getting what I want. So is God really in control? Is God truly sovereign in my life? And so even the best of us, we struggle sometimes with our self-centeredness. Instead of putting God or seeing God as the center of our lives, we put ourselves in the center. And when we don't get what we want, we say, oh, well, God isn't in control. Why? Because I'm not getting what I want. Or my family's not getting what uh, we want. <clears throat> so God must not be in control. And if this is true for the best of us, think about for those of us who aren't as strong Christians, who are even more self-centered, 
right? Then, then God certainly must not be in control all the time, right? Number two, moral evil. Yes, there is such a thing as objective moral evil in the world. And this goes to the point of a lot of atheists who will use moral evil as a reason for why they don't believe God exists. If a good God and a sovereign God exists, then why does he allow evil and suffering in the world? So theft, murder, kidnapping, torture, torture, et cetera, and et cetera. God can't be in control because if God were in control, he would prevent all of these things. And the world would just be full of goody two-shoes who will do good for everyone. And there should be no evil at all. But there is, so therefore God is not in control. So there's an intellectual and sometimes for people a personal reason why they don't believe that God is controlled because evil things have uh, fell upon their lives or they just see so much evil around. And something that's more germane to us right now is natural suffering. And the difference between natural suffering and moral evil is this, is that moral evil is evils that are committed by the free will of man, whereas natural suffering is just it's not really evil, but it is suffering that happens to humankind because of natural tragedies. So, for example, tornadoes uh, going through parts of the Midwest and destroying homes, maybe taking lives. Right now, the coronavirus taking lives, having a 3.4% mortality rate for those who are infected. And we will blame God. And then say, you're not even in control because if you truly are a good God and you're a sovereign God, then you would prevent uh, these tragedies from happening from these uh, natural, you'll prevent natural suffering from happening. Basically, in a nutshell, what it is, is we do not think that God is in control or God is sovereign because anything that makes us lose hope for a quote unquote better future and who defines better we define better right usually we don't ask god to define what better is we define better what's better for me or what we think is should be better for the world if we don't see a better future in what is going on currently then hey god you're not in control you're not in control how can you be in control and it is during this time when we look at the current state of the coronavirus if we go to the next slide a lot of us are surprised, shocked, they're scared, and we do wonder whether God is truly in control. I mean, here is a chart of the countries with confirmed cases of coronavirus as of just last week. Number of cases, 90,870, right? Number of deaths, 3,112. This is, this is crazy, right? All continents have been uh, affected by it. And those are the countries that have been affected, those that are in dark uh, orange. Now, there's probably way more countries that are affected, even in the gray. Uh, it's just that not everyone reports the fact that to the, to the hospital to get tested. And so uh, that's the bad news. The good news is that that means that the mortality rate is probably less than 3.4% because of the fact that not all uh, uh, designated infectants uh, are reported. And so it's probably less, but still, it's uh, much more powerful than the uh, regular flu. So it is good to be cautious. And when we see this, we start wondering, is God really in control? Is he sovereign? And during these times, if we go to the next slide, we sort of want to do uh, this. Uh, have you ever seen 
these magazines. There are magazines where you can go to and you can actually start the process of buying your own island <laughs> in the middle of nowhere to get away from everyone, right? Your own private island. Check this during the time of the coronavirus. Wouldn't it be great if you and your family had this one island off the coast of Norway on the right there? Isn't that cute? You have your own island, your own little dock where you can you can go. Yeah, that that, that looks like a guest house or supply room for your boat. And then you have a house. It looks like it's about three to four hundred square feet. You have a little comfy kitchen and and bedroom and living room. All you have to do is get a heater and a conditioning unit and internet connection and and you know all of the uh, supplies that you ransacked from Walmart and Costco because you know that you probably were one of those people that took all the toilet paper, <laughs> even though the coronavirus has nothing to do with the toilet paper. You probably should have stocked up on masks and Purell, um, and you could just wait the whole thing out, and then you can then come out and say, "I survived. I didn't help anyone." but at least I helped myself and we survived the coronavirus by spending $1 million on my own private Island that no one wants anymore because the financial markets are now crashed and no one has enough money to, to buy it. And now we're in debt anyways. Uh, that's cool. Right. It makes us want to do this, but getting back to seriousness, going to the next slide. We question if God is in control because of things like this super virus. And here's the biblical reality. The coronavirus is nothing. It's nothing compared to the craziness that we see in the Bible. It's nothing compared to the negative events we see in the Bible. And even so, we have even greater, more epic biblical disasters in the Bible, whether of a moral evil, a self-centered nature, or of a natural suffering type of category, yet God was in control each time and had a sovereign plan for mankind each time, and the biblical authors even stated so. Here are just three examples, right? We have Noah's flood, Genesis chapter 6 to 9. Now here we have a judgment of God for the sins of mankind. Back then, it's estimated that a whole or many civilizations have already been formed and created in mankind ever since Adam and Eve, and that there are at least were at least 750 million people that were living on the planet Earth at that time during the time of Noah. And then you know what God decides to do out of judgment for all the evils that have been accumulated, except for Noah and his family, He decided to wipe out the entire earth with a global flood and only leaving Noah behind in order for him to start a new civilization, to start over again. We are all descendants of Noah and his family. You know what that means? That means God killed off over 749 plus a million people and only left eight behind <clears throat> And that's a mortality rate of 99.9999999999%. Okay? The coronavirus is nothing compared to what happened back in biblical times. And you have to think, what was Noah and his family thinking 
right? I mean, of course, God promised him that he's going to start a new civilization and mankind will continue through Noah's family. But have you wondered how Noah was feeling? All of the friends that he's made. I'm sure back then he's visited other uh, civilizations and towns and countries um, since he was an adult. Uh, All of the friends that his children and his wife has made. uh, All of the relatives that they've had, their first cousins, second cousins. uh, All of them would be gone. They'd be killed out of the judgment of God. And he's, she's probably wondering, you know, is there any hope left for humanity? And God, are you, I mean, yes, you're the one that's going to instigate this, but are you really in control? Do you really know what you're, you're doing? Right. And this is possibly the reason why Noah went on drinking binges after the flood, right after the flood, I believe in chapter 10 or 11, it says that Noah got drunk. Right. I mean, he's the only guy left i mean he has his sons there but he's the only guy of his age left and he has no one to talk to except for his wife which is not a bad thing okay so but don't think that's a bad thing but all of you women and men who are older know that it's great to have other people of the same age to talk to who are of the same sex um, because there's certain understandings of masculinity and femininity that only uh other people of the same sex understand and it was a time probably of hopelessness uh, for them. And they probably wondered if God truly was in control. Now, of course, God was in control. Look at the life we have now. This is post-flood, right? Uh, but back then, how do you think Noah felt, right? But yet God was still in control. Why don't we go to the next slide? How about this one? Jesus' crucifixion at the end of each gospel. You know what? Here's something that mankind figured out how to do that even Satan in all of his direct schemes was not able to do. And humanity found a way to kill God. Satan was not even able to to figure how to do that directly. Of course, he did so indirectly through Judas, but mankind found a way to kill, kill God in human form. Through the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. Now, if you think about that, that's crazy, especially with all the expectations that the apostles and the rest of the followers of Jesus uh, up to that point had, that this is going to be the Messiah, this is going to be the person that would bring in the Messianic kingdom, and then all of a sudden he dies. How do you think the apostles and the others felt? Well, we know how they felt. In between the crucifixion and the resurrection and ascension, we see them going back to fishing. They're going back to their old lives and they're depressed and discouraged. And they're also sort of in hiding, right? All of them betrayed Jesus. They all did. They all ran away. They're in hiding. They're depressed. They're discouraged. And they can't believe what's going on. And I guarantee you, and you know this to be a fact, once you think about all this, they're wondering, what is God doing? Is he even in control? But yet, we know how the story ends, and it still continues today. God was in control, and not only was he control in control, like with Noah's flood and with Jesus' crucifixion, he actually used those two crazy negative events for his glory for the future. Last but not least, we have the martyrdom and persecution 
of the early Christian movement. Now, a lot of us think, hey, you know what? After Jesus resurrected, yay, it's a great thing. The, the, the Christian church movement started and everything was honky-dory. It was all awesome. The, the Christian movement just grew in leaps and bounds as a result of that. Well, did you know that when you look at history and look at Acts, if you actually read Acts, you realize that that's not true. There was a lot of persecution going on. 11 out of the 12 apostles were killed by Christianity's opponents. Even the one that wasn't martyred, John, uh, the one that Jesus truly, uh, dearly loved more than the others, or the apostle of love, uh, he was persecuted greatly as well. And not only that, but by the fourth century, 325 AD, there were 7 million Christians. Yes. Praise God, right? That's a lot of Christians. Estimated 7 million Christians. But did you know what? 2 million of them had been killed for the faith. They've been martyred for the faith. That means you had a mortality rate of 28.6%. Again, the coronavirus says nothing on what was going on, even in early Christian church history uh, in the pre-Nicene period. And so if you became a Christian, you knew that you had only a one and a, you, you, one out of every four of you would die by the sword because you were a Christian. That's crazy. Look around you in the congregation right now and count every fourth person, your friends or your family to the right, left, front, or back of you. One out of every four person that you count would have been killed through persecution and martyrdom as a result of becoming a Christian. 25 or 28.6% of the English congregation would be dead. That is how bad it was, even in the first three to four centuries of Christians, of, the, uh, of early Christian history. All right. But you know what? God was still in control again, because we're here, right? We have countries now that are even named or known for being Judeo-Christian countries. And so God has been in control back then in the Old Testament. God has been in control during the time of Jesus, during the transition between Testaments. And God still is in control after, during the time of the New Testament. And there are stories and stories of God being controlled. We have missionaries. Dr. Sam Chow can tell you of the history of Christianity in China, in Russia, of how there was mass persecutions and martyrdoms and killings of Christians as a result of the communist regimes in Russia and China. Uh, and the blood of the martyrs was surprisingly the seed of the church and how Christianity grew even bigger and more widespread as a result of the persecution and it's it's crazy to think about this but it's almost as if the more christians were persecuted and killed the more they grew god has always been in control regardless of how bad things were through our crazy self-centeredness our moral evil and also the natural suffering that occurs from time to time now let's go to the next slide a lot of the reasons why we're confused about why we question whether God is in control is because of this. We forget that God is in control, that it doesn't mean you will never have sickness, disease, earthquakes, on and on, the natural suffering. 
anything. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you're never going to have sickness, disease, earthquakes, right? Um, also, it doesn't mean you will never have murder, theft, and other evil acts. Where in the Bible does it say that you're you'll, you're never going to have these things, right? Or the Bible never says you will never have things go wrong or differently in your life. And that's where our self-centeredness comes in. We think that, well, if God loves us, we should have things go right all the times, our way in our lives. Well, the, the Bible never promises that, especially in the New Testament. Where do you see any of these promised in the Bible, right? And there's something that happened. Okay, now you can rest assured in these promises only if you were living in the time of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, or if you're living in the time of Revelations chapter 22 and beyond, because something happened. Something happened that changed things where as a result of that event, we now have evil, sin, and suffering in the world, and God accommodated to that because that's what we wanted, okay? Now, let me say, if this were not true, then why does just a cursory reading of the Bible have all of these things, natural suffering, moral evil, and self-centeredness, yet God is still seen and praised as being in control and sovereign? And this is why, if we go to the next slide, because that is what Adam and Eve wanted. They're like, what? Adam and Eve wanted that? Yeah. Let me remind you of the fall of mankind. We live with the results of their choices. Like it or not, some of you think, well, that's not fair that we have to live with the results of their choices. Well, it's not fair, but it is what it is. When our parents or, or our leaders make bad choices, we, as their followers or as their descendants, have to live with them. All right? And what were those choices? Well, these are the revised factory settings that our first ancestors chose. So I want you to think about it this way. You know, when you buy your iPhone or when you buy your, your Samsung, Android, whatever smartphone that you use, it comes with factory settings, right? And then you can then change the factory settings as you want. Well, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had the choice of whether to eat of the knowledge of good, the fruit of good and evil. And Satan tempted them to eat of it. And God warned them not to, but they did. And as a result of that choice, the factory settings changed. They changed the factory settings on their iPhone, on their lives, the iPhone being a symbol of reality or their lives at that time. And out of respect for their choice, God accommodated to these new factory settings. Okay, this is why a lot of people, when they say, well, why can't God just change everything and and make everything perfect again. Well, because God gave us a choice and our first ancestors choose chose to change those factory settings. So he's working within those factory settings. Now, the great thing is that in the future, God promises that there's going to be a software update, okay? <laughs> and so we're waiting for that version 2.0 to happen and Jesus Christ coming was part of that update. But here's the thing, before that, that factory update comes around, we need to live, and also God is uh, working within and accommodating with the factory settings that we chose to set for ourselves, and God is, out of respect for our free will, accommodating to that choice. God was very clear to them that death and evil would result in eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. 
he warned them not to eat of it. Okay? We wanted just, we were not, they were not content to just live with knowing good. They wanted to know what evil was as well. So they disobeyed. They, want, they found out what evil was, and they experienced the result of finding out what evil was because God then punished them for that with soon death and things related to death. So, But they still chose to make that choice, and so sin entered into the world expressing itself in its varied human self-centeredness, moral evils, and natural sufferings. And these are the new factory settings that God is now working with, and we are now living in and so this is how god can still be in control but yet at the same time we have all of these negative factors in our world today so this is why just because we have all these negative factors whether it be moral evil uh, uh, suffering or or what self-centeredness god is still in control he knows what's going on he's accommodating to the the settings that we chose for ourselves through Uh, our first ancestors, Adam and Eve. Let's go to the next slide. Now, this is where we need to realize this because if we don't realize this, then we always complain, well, God isn't good then or God is not in control because once we realize that these are the new factory settings, we also realize that logically the conclusion is God doesn't have to do anything for us. Because we decided that we don't need God. We wanted to know evil and good for ourselves. And we wanted to do our own thing. We wanted, we're okay with experiencing death. God no longer has to do anything for us. Okay, the new factory setting caused by Adam's fall and sin means that God is not required at all to help humanity. By Adam and Eve's choice, we are basically on our own, left on a beautifully diseased, sin-stricken world and so we don't have to uh uh expect god to do anything he doesn't have to do anything for us but here's the thing the fact that god still answers prayer from time to time the fact that we know through biblical history he has guided humanity to survival form a nation for his own provide jesus christ as our lord and savior in his death and resurrection promises a heavenly kingdom for his believers and also a new heaven and new earth and more, even though he doesn't have to, it shows his great love, his great grace and his great mercy for us, for humankind. And it also shows despite sin and its effects, God is still sovereign and in control. And so this is where we see how these two seemingly opposite things of evil and suffering in the world and the good God can actually coexist together in that he doesn't have to do anything for us because we decided to go the evil direction, but he still shines through with his love and his grace by providing us a savior, by providing answers to prayer and providing us the hope of heaven and a new heaven and new earth, meaning that there's still a future for us. There's still a hope for us that that living by bread alone is not the only kind of existence that we look forward to, but we can live, look forward to a heavenly existence, living by everything that comes from the mouth of God, the word of God. Now let's go to the next slide. 
here are two scripture passages that I think we should remember that helps us to um, acknowledge this and remember this in our daily lives, that God is still in control regardless of the suffering that we go through. Romans 8, 28 to 30. This is a great scripture passage to memorize if you haven't memorized yet. Put it on a card and then just look at it and memorize it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he also called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. You see, this is how we know that God truly loves us and is in control. Because those people that believe in God through Jesus Christ and become Christians, us believers uh, in Christ Christians, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So no matter what happens, whether it's it's bad moral evil or or natural suffering, God still is working for the good of us believers. And not only that, but he's promised this, that in verse 30, those he predestined, us, he also called, those he called, he also justified, those he justified, he also glorified, meaning that he's preserving us unto salvation uh, into heaven and into new, the new heavens and the new earth in the kingdom of God. So this is where we get partially the belief in eternal security, once saved, always saved, because God is the one that's guiding us through from the moment that we're converted all the way to the moment we reach uh, eternal glory in heaven. Let's go to the next slide. Revelations chapter 21 verses 1 to 5 gives, a, gives us hope in an eternal future and therefore also helps us to realize that God has been sovereign all this time and God is in control because there is an end point in the future that is glorious for the believer, for the Christian. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. You see, here's the thing. If man does only live by bread alone, then this coronavirus is scary. It is 3.4% mortality rate. That means if you're infected out of a hundred people, three or four are going to die and you might be one of them, right? So it's scary. And that's it. That's the end of your life, but not so for the Christian, because even if we're infected by the coronavirus, Hey, if our lives become forfeit, that is the beginning of life, not the end. The life that we have here, this bread alone, man does not live by bread alone, is just the beginning. It's almost like a tryout. And how you make the cuts for the tryout is belief in Jesus Christ. And then you make the cuts. And then after you die, you get to heaven. And that's when you actually start living your life for eternity. So death is the beginning. It's not the end there's a supernatural realm that's out there waiting to be explored and can be start being explored by getting into the God, into God's word and into spiritual things. That's why I had us, I had us read the scripture verse in Matthew four verse four, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now notice it does not say that man 
does not live by bread. It says that man does not live by bread alone, meaning that, yes, the physical aspect of our lives are important, but not as important as every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So a coronavirus application could be, yes, you should take precautions, but it's not the end all and be all of everything. Don't become one of those coronavirus freaks that all of a sudden, okay, we're just going to quarantine ourselves and not go out at all and just uh, start homeschooling and living inside and hoarding everything for ourselves. There's a world out there that needs to be reached for Christ. And right now is a perfect opportunity to do it because I think a lot of people are open, more open now to the gospel than not. Let's continue. Um, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God preparing as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So this is the hope that we have as Christians. The hope that we have as Christians is not that just that we're going to go to heaven. That's just the first part, okay? The hope that we have as Christians is that there's going to be a new heaven and new earth, meaning that after we get to heaven, we're going to come back and live on this earth together with our new glorified bodies because heaven and earth will be renewed to a state just like that back in during Adam and Eve's time, but without any possibility of sinning anymore. The, the, that tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil will be gone and we will live with glory with God without any fear or pain ever anymore, uh, not just in heaven, but here in the new heavens and the new earth let's go to the next slide so in conclusion first god is sovereign and in control regardless of the good evil or suffering that is occurring around us including the coronavirus okay there is no contradiction between the goodness and the sovereignty of god and the evil and suffering we see in this world these are the these are just the temporary new factory settings that Adam and Eve has set, and we are just uh, living through the consequences of that. Secondly, the evil suffering and self-centeredness around us are a result of our first ancestor's choice to choose knowing both good and evil rather than just good. The fact that God still answers our prayers, sent us a savior, and promises a new heaven and earth in the future is proof that he still loves us and is still sovereign and in control. Next slide. Third, if God's plan can't be thwarted by even a flood that destroyed all of humanity except for eight people, then the ills we experience today truly do not thwart his control. I mean, come on. You know, sometimes we, um, we maybe, let me give you an example from the youth. We get a bad SAT score. We don't get to the college that we wanted to get to. We have to use our second or third choice. Oh my goodness, God, are you in control? Bro, okay, come on, look at this. 
if a flood that destroyed 99.99999% of the world couldn't thwart the control and sovereignty of God, getting a bad SAT score and going to your second or third choice of a college doesn't thwart God's control over the world or over your life. Just be faithful to him and continue to follow him and you will see him work. Okay. Fourth, God being in control means that we won't get what we want all the time. Sorry, but you're not the center of the universe. I'm not the center of the universe. If you or if I were the center of the universe, then we'd be the God, right? We'd be gods, but we're not. God is God and we are his servant. God didn't save you to serve yourself. God saved you to serve him. So we just need to come back to the point where we, we got to get away from this health and wealth, prosperity, gospel type theology, which even though we may not be from that type of church, inherently because we are self-centered, because we're very capitalistic and individualistic as Americans, um, we got we got to prevent that from infecting our theology that comes from the Bible in the New Testament, which clearly shows that, no, God is not our servant. We are God's servant, right? And so God being in control means that we may not get what we want all the time. Number five, instead of asking, why doesn't God do this for me, even though I'm doing everything he wants? Maybe we should ask, what may God be trying to tell me by not giving me what I want, even though I'm being faithful to him? So God God is our father, right? He loves us and he does want the best for us. If we're doing everything for him, but he's still not giving us what we want, there must be a really good reason, right? And so you need to ask that question of him. And as a result of that, you're going to grow in him and you're going to continue to grow in humility rather than in pride in him. Now, um, like a true pastor, uh, I said that uh, that was the conclusion. Sorry, that's not really the conclusion. This is the actual conclusion. Next slide. <laughs> oh, sorry. Are you guys laughing? Probably, <laughs> probably not, right? Like what I'm... 30% of my jokes <laughs> fail usually. So uh, here we go again, right? But uh, this is the last slide, all right? I want to invite you to live beyond bread alone and by every word that comes from God, okay? A lot of us, uh, those of us who are, aren't Christians may just be living by bread alone because we don't live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, but as Jesus taught, and as he answered the devil himself, man does not live by bread alone. If man did live by bread alone, then there would be no hope. Also, if man did live by bread alone, we would not uh, be uncontented, or we wouldn't have any problems with living in jail, having a treadmill, and having food served to us three times a day, because that will f f fulfill all of our physical needs. If man only lived by bread alone, that's good enough. We wouldn't desire freedom. We wouldn't desire liberty. We wouldn't desire these deep questions of, is there a purpose in life? And is there a God? Is there an eternal life out there? Truly, what Jesus said wasn't just a command that was original, but he was just describing something that was an objective reality that any deep observer of life would realize that, hey, maybe man doesn't live by bread alone, but there's a supernatural world out there. 
And there is, because man doesn't just live by bread alone, but he lives also by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I want to invite you to live not just by bread alone, but also by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Related to the coronavirus, here's a warning that Jesus gives. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from, the, from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. That's horrible. Here you have a re- group that's worshiping God through the sacrifices, and then Pilate murders them, okay? And so back then, a lot of people thought, well, they must have been sinners, and so that's why God allowed it. And Jesus contends that. He says this, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? Not at all. And here's something that is is shocking because we don't often think of Jesus' way. Look at Jesus' response. Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. Wow, that's pretty harsh, Jesus. But hey, this is Jesus. This is God in human form saying this. And then he gives a second example. And what about the 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Were they were the worst sinners in Jerusalem? There's a, a the Tower of Siloam is in the southeast quadrant of Jerusalem, and it fell, and it killed 18 people. And so some people thought, well, they probably were sinners. That's why God allowed this to, to kill them. And Jesus' answer said, no, I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Because Jesus, being God, he knows, hey, these are the factory settings. Of course, God sometimes will use uh, disasters uh, to to kill and destroy people who are sinning against him as judgment, right? That was, uh, the flood was a result of that. But sometimes evil and suffering happens because we live in a sinful world. This is a sin-stricken and diseased, beautiful world that we live in. And the Tower of Siloam was a part of it. Bad things happen to even good people at times. And so what Jesus is saying is there's no difference between people like that And you guys either. You need to repent and believe in God through Jesus in order to be saved. Because you never know when you're going to die. If you don't die by an evilly, immoral evil act or by a natural disaster, you may die of old age, right? And so, and you never know. There might be a heart attack. There might be a stroke. You never know when you're going to die. You need to be ready to face the Lord and to to be ready for that spiritual existence um, in heaven rather than in hell. And so if Jesus were here today and he saw this coronavirus, he would say a lot of things. But one thing related to this part in Luke, I think he would ask is this or say is this. What about the 17 who have died of the coronavirus in the U.S. recently? Do you think they were worse sinners than other Americans? No. And I tell you that unless you repent and turn to God through Jesus Christ, you will perish too. And so when we look at this coronavirus, we should allow it to humble us and to make us to realize, are we ready to face God and his judgment for our sins in heaven if the coronavirus strikes us and we become part of that 3 to 4%? Are we ready to face God? And are, and are we sure that when we die, if we die today or in a month or in a year, we would be with God in heaven rather than in hell. And so why don't we close in prayer and uh, I'll guide us in a time of prayer to God. 
and 